You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Good morning again, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the young leaders. Welcome to the ASEAN and EU strategic thinkers. Welcome to all the friends and colleagues who are joining us now for this very interesting morning about EU-ASEAN relations the next 40 years. Uh, both the European Union and the Association of Southeast Asian Nations are known to be peace projects. The European Union was born in the ashes of the Second World War and is a peace project. And ASEAN is a child of the Cold War, also a peace project. With their different tools, their different mechanisms, their different processes, both the EU and ASEAN have managed successfully to keep the peace in their regions. But that stability, that peace, is now being challenged by new volatility on the geopolitical landscape. We all know that. We read about it. We hear about it. We feel it. We know it. I sometimes call it the ABC of the new geopolitical order or disorder. A, for America first. America first, America's retreat or perceived retreat, if you like, from the global stage, from its commitments to the multilateral order. B, for Brexit and the confusion that Brexit has created among many of our Asian friends. And C, of course, is for China, a more assertive, a more self-confident China. And so we're looking at both the EU and ASEAN to see how are these organizations, these groups of countries, responding to this new challenging global order? And I guess the key question for this first panel really is, can the EU and ASEAN work together more, more frequently, more effectively, to try and maintain the peace and stability that we have known so far, and to try and preserve and promote the multilateral order? There's also a question, of course, of 21st century global challenges. We know them. Uh, climate change, cyberspace, cybersecurity, illegal immigration, refugee crisis, immigration, cyberspace, I've already said, and so many other challenges. Urbanization, living in the 21st century cities, water management, so many things, so many things out there that we need to work together. And that is what I'm setting as a challenge for our panelists today. We have a great group of speakers. Uh, let me first introduce uh, Mr. Liu Lung Min. Of course, we all know him, former Secretary General of the ASEAN Secretariat, uh, just retired very, very recently, and real privilege, I have to say, to have you here, Secretary General. Welcome, indeed. Also with us, Jose Tavares, uh, old friend from Indonesia, Director General for ASEAN at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Jakarta. Thank you very much also, Jose, for coming over. Peter Potman, old friend and colleague, Director of the Asia and Oceania Department of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Netherlands. Peter, thank you for being here as well. Always a privilege to have you here. Clarita Carlos, a new friend, if I may say so, Professor of Political Science at the University of the Philippines. And last but not least, a colleague with whom I work very, very closely on issues related especially to ASEM, and that's Bart Gaines, Senior Research Fellow at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. I'm Shada Islam, I'm Director for Europe and Geopolitics at Friends of Europe. So I'm gonna kick off this 
let's say, very brisk uh, conversation that we're going to have. I'm going to ask a few questions and then open the floor to all of you because everyone here, I'm sure, is very curious and very, very interested and in informed on what is the EU-ASEAN relationship for the last 40 years, and perhaps you have ideas for the next 40 years. So without further ado, Secretary General, I'd like you to kick off this discussion with a few comments. Please, sir. Well, good morning, Excellencies, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I would say sorry to those who wouldn't have to listen to what you know already, but I have to do justice to my job. And, uh, ASEAN and the EU just celebrated the 40 years of our dialogue relations. As ASEAN also, we celebrated the 50 years of the association. And I would like to thank uh, the European uh, uh, External uh, Service uh, and the Trans Europe for inviting me to be part of this uh, EU ASEAN uh, Strategic Thinkers Forum to review and to deliberate on the new direction for the uh, partnership between our two organizations. When ASEAN was established uh, 51 years ago, the global Cold War tensions were also raging in our divided region. And the birth of ASEAN manifested the aspiration of the people of South Asia for regional peace and prosperity, which has been the determining factor of success of our process of continual evolution and development over half century based on the fundamental principle of peaceful coexistence and specific settlement of dispute, respect for national independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity, non-interference, and non-threat of use or use of force in interstate relations. The end of the Cold War in the 1990s, which led to the expansion of the EU membership also enable ASEAN to encompass in own countries into ASEAN, own countries in a most diverse region in the world into ASEAN. Countries of different political systems, economic structures, and religious beliefs. Bringing together all the countries uh, into ASEAN in this diverse region constituted historic achievement for the organization laying a sound basis for the development and deepening of uh, inter-regional cooperation in all areas. And the launch of the ASEAN community in December 2015 was really a historic milestone, which testified to the region's resilience and dynamism, as well as the political will and solid commitment of all members of the association to become a more cohesive and credible entity in addressing common challenges to boost up economic competitiveness and to carve for themselves a strategic economic space in conducting its international engagement. And while the ASEAN EU became dialogue partners back in 1977 and the partnership was formally institutionalized in 1980, ASEAN-EU dialogue relations set a major milestone only in 2007. In the new context, following the end of the Cold War and the expansion of both organizations' membership, the Nuremberg Declaration on an EU-ASEAN enhanced partnership endorsed that year 
set out the long-term vision and commitment of both sides to work together for common goals and objectives in the future. And the ASEAN Charter adopted later that year. While serving as a firm foundation for giving the ASEAN community by providing the association with the legal status institutional framework, codifying ASEAN norms, rules, and values, setting out clear targets for ASEAN, and presenting accountability and compliance has facilitated ASEAN's international engagement. In that new context, ASEAN-EU dialogue relations have since constantly expanded and strengthened. The EU was the first regional organization to accede to the Treaty of Amity and Cooperation in South Asia, and also the first regional organization to appoint an ambassador, dedicated one, and open a permanent mission to ASEAN. And both these events, together the appointment of almost all uh, EU countries of the ambassador to ASEAN, reflect our commitment to further deepen our mutual engagement. Another major milestone was in 2014 when it was agreed that both sides would work towards upgrading our partnership to a strategic level. And the Bandasari Bhagawan Plan of Action to strengthen the ASEAN-EU Enhanced Partnership for the period 2013-2017, adopted in 2012, containing 83 measures in all three pillars political security, economic and social cultural, and three measures in institutional support for ASEAN. Listed for implementation, not only demonstrate the growth and the comprehensiveness of cooperation between organizations, but also gave it a more strategic focus. And nearly 100%, or namely 85 of the 86 measures in these areas ranging from enhancement of political dialogue, cooperation in the maintenance of peace, security and stability, maritime security cooperation, confidence building, preventive diplomacy, mediation, peacekeeping operation, military medicine, transnational crime, cybercrime, counterterrorism, economic integration, education, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, biodiversity conservation, protection of one animals, people to people, including student exchange, human rights dialogue have been addressed. Besides the ASEAN EU mechanism, such as material meetings, the senior officials meetings, the joint cooperation committee, ASEAN and the EU are also engaging each other actively in cooperation framework and dialogue framework that have been initiated by ASEAN, such as the ASEAN Regional Forum and the post-meteor conferences, then plus one sessions, where the EU strongly supports uh, ASEAN centrality. Trade and investment relations between ASEAN and the EU have also continued to strengthen substantially. The EU remains ASEAN's uh, second largest trading partner, while ASEAN remains the EU's third largest. The EU meanwhile remains the biggest source of FDI flows into ASEAN. 
and ASEAN and the EU are also to resume negotiations of an uh, suspended uh, ASEAN-EU FTA. And both sides are also working uh, and making progress in strengthening cooperation in the Asian area to enhance connectivity through the conclusion of a ambitious and pace-setting ASEAN-EU Comprehensive Air Transport Agreement that reflects ASEAN and the EU's uh, set vision and aspiration. The new ASEAN-EU Plan of Action for the period 2018-2022 is even more ambitious. While the new action plan is not less comprehensive, with measures for implementation in all pillars of cooperation, the new plan set focus on issues of mutual but heightened interest <coughs> and concern, <coughs> such as counterterrorism, transnational crime, and other non-traditional security issues, maritime security cooperation, disarmament and non-proliferation, innovation, transport, trade facilitation, small and medium enterprises, education, academic and cultural exchanges, on health, gender equality, environment protection, climate change, and sustainable development. What is, uh, I want to emphasize that while the new action plan is more ambitious, its implementation is in a much more challenging environment with complex development in regional and global political security, economic and social situations. Big power rivalries and confrontation require both ASEAN and the EU to be able to maintain their centrality in dealing with them, to safeguard and promote our mutual strategic interests, that of maintaining peace, our respective regional peace, security, stability and prosperity, and contributing to the building of a rule-based order. And although they are not taking the same path in integration, one based on shared sovereignty and the other on non-interference and consensus, ASEAN and the EU are the two most successful regional organizations having experienced firsthand the benefit from regional economic integration and on our shared uh, open regionalism approach. We are convinced that collective resilience, competitiveness, and prosperity can only be achieved and maintained through continued regional and global integration. And in this connection, ASEAN and the EU must endeavor to ensure effective cooperation in implementation of the already aligned priorities reflected in our respective visions and work programs, in particular the ASEAN Community Vision 2025 and the EU Consensus on Development. And last but not least, greater awareness and understanding of uh, ASEAN and the EU by our respective peoples, especially the youths, are crucial to gain public support and participation in our respective community building and integration process, as well as in our cooperation projects. 
As intergovernmental organizations, both ASEAN and the EU have been acquainted to a top-down approach. But our gender cross across the pillars have increasingly focused on delivering tangible benefits to our peoples on the ground. And both must address the seeming disconnect between their policy-level discussions and impact on the ground in order to maintain and to uh, strengthen our people's support and participation. And I think this connection, the Brexit, have been serving us as a wake-up call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Secretary General. You've set the tone for both panels today. You've mentioned some key uh, words, diversity of ASEAN, resilience, connectivity, and also set the tone for the EU-ASEAN relationship, all the different successes, achievements, but also the challenges you face. And you brought up the topic of big power <coughs> rivalries uh, and how that affects uh, ASEAN neutrality, centrality, one of the key sort of tenets of ASEAN so far. So I'm going to jump in to this issue with Jose, Jose Tavares. So uh, Jose Tavares, the Secretary General said, you know, this is a challenge for ASEAN. And every time you go there or you look at the headlines, you see that ASEAN is really in the eye of the storm. It's where the rivalries and the competition are really playing out between China and, and, and the US, right? So how is ASEAN uh, adapting, adjusting, reacting to this, to this big power competition? Well, thank you, uh, Shada, for this opportunity. I'm, I'm honored and privileged to be here among these prominent uh, speakers and uh, the distinguished uh, participants today, some of which are my mentors. Uh, previously, I see Ambassador Yuri here and some ASEAN ambassadors around that I have learned a lot from them in the past. So um, in responding to, to your uh, question, how ASEAN uh, uh, react uh, to the uh, global changes, to the major power rivalries, and how how can we preserve the ASEAN centrality? Um, uh, we'll, we have to start, we have to see that what, what is really ASEAN centrality? ASEAN centrality is ASEAN providing the platform for major powers uh, engagement for ASEAN, of course, and the, and the major powers engagement in the region which has been taking uh, place uh, for uh, several decades back. Uh, all of the major powers uh, annually, uh, they, they go to the region uh, and they discuss uh, strategic issues of common interest and concern. And this role must continue to be preserved by ASEAN. At the meantime, ASEAN must continue to set the agenda, set the future direction uh, for the engagement in the past. As, uh, to be frank, of course, uh, are you telling that ASEAN, you know, consists of small countries that um, uh, in before these major powers, we have no, of course, we have uh, no as, as the, the strength that, that these major powers has, have. But uh, uh, since the major powers very often cancel one another in various agenda items, in very, various projects, so they trust on ASEAN to set the direction, the future direction. So th this kind of advantage for ASEAN to continue to set the future direction uh, for the region. Now, in relation to the major powers rivalry, one thing is that uh, we have been reminded ourselves in ASEAN that, look, ASEAN obviously uh, consists of uh, the 10 member countries. We have our national interest uh, that varies, 
you cannot expect that ASEAN member states will have the same national interest. Uh, they, they do have uh, different uh, national interests vis-a-vis these major powers, but we con constantly remind ourselves that in the pursuit of those national interests, we cannot compromise regional collective interest. What is the, the regional collective interest? Is that the maintenance, the maintenance of uh, peace, security, stability, which has allowed the conducive environment so that economic development and social progress to flourish. So this is actually a national in interest as well, because if you ignore this regional collective interest, at the end, eventually, it will go back and hit you. So uh, actually, there is no some, some, this kind of contradiction between national and regional interest. It is, of course, in the, in the interest of ASEAN member states to continue to preserve th this role that have been entrusted to ASEAN by the major powers. And we can offer a better option for these various uh, rivalries that uh, already may be mentioned by the uh, former Secretary General, General and, and yourself, Sada. So, uh, you know, here we are. ASEAN is prepared to offer a better option, and we do in the process of, of doing that, just that. But, so I'm but, sorry. but uh, uh, Jose, uh, ASEAN unity is being tested, isn't it? Yeah, uh, look, this is, it is the fact that uh, ASEAN unity has been tested, particularly in relation to uh, uh, territorial disputes in the region. That is true. We are facing with, with real politics on the ground, as I mentioned before, that the, the, the national interest uh, of certain countries, both political, you know, both political and economic interest, uh, you know, the countries that have the interest economically, some are very dependent on the big neighbors for uh, the various uh, projects uh, that uh, really uh, uh, is of their national interest. Now, that's why we keep reminding, look, in the pursuit of those national interests, do not jeopardize uh, the regional interest, because otherwise we'll be no longer ASEAN for, uh, for the next 50 years. <laughs> and this is not good for the region, for everybody. Uh, you see, we, we are playing a, a role that sometimes um, cannot be ignored as insignificant, because as a result of ASEAN is exi existing for the last five decades, we are able to maintain peace, security, and stability in a region that is so diverse, so diverse. <laughs> we are consisted of democ democracy, democratic countries, uh, absolute monarchy, transformation from authoritarian to democracy that are still in a problem. We are a vast region of different religions, uh, you name it, and uh, a huge uh, uh, variety of, of ethnicity, right. uh, languages, and so on. So mm -hmm. it is, I mean, Western analysis, uh, analysts, uh, they, they, before they call it the Balkan of the East, but it hasn't proven. <laughs> so yes. they are wrong in this case. So we must continue that role, I think, in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll look at some of the uh, many challenges that you've uh, pointed to, uh, Jose, in, in further conversation. I'm sure there will be questions from the floor on, on that as well. Let me turn to you, Peter, from the, uh, from the Dutch Foreign Ministry and also here speaking for Europe, right? So... Um, once again, I mean, Europe is also finding itself torn in different directions with the geopolitical sort of volatility that we see around us. 
Uh, how do you see the EU responding? What do you see as the key challenges? And where can EU and ASEAN perhaps work together for the preservation of this multilateral order, the rules-based order, which is being, you know, um, challenged by some of the people who actually set it up 70 years ago or so? Okay. Well, thank you, Shada, and good morning, everybody. Um, let me first of all say how happy I am to share the stage with you again. Um, we've done so, I think, in Brussels before and in Ulaanbaatar, um, so in far-flung places as well. Um, it's a complicated question. I'll focus on EU-ASEAN response. Uh, from an EU perspective, I've got five minutes, and I want to make five major points. Um, one is, how is our world different um, from, let's say, ten years ago? Uh, I think there is a, a, a sensible, a palpable geopolitical shift. Um, in shorthand, China's up, US is down, or at least um, they so choose to do so in various areas. Secondly, I think globalization has come to a f tipping point. Um, there is uh, increasing backlash uh, towards the, the, the precepts of uh, globalization. Um, and there is an increase in equality that is now coming to haunt us, both in Asia um, and in Europe and, and the US as well. Um, I think the, the third point uh, that is different from 10 years ago is that the global commons, uh, which was under threat, is under threat even more. So the impact of climate change uh, and elements that we try to cover with the SDGs uh, are becoming more uh, painful, um, if, you, if you will. So what is our greatest challenge for EU and, and uh, ASEAN and the ASEAN countries? I think, um, first of all, we have to deal with the rise of China. Um, to me, that is a central element, as I said, coming from the geopolitical shift that, that affects both Europe and Asia and ASEAN. Secondly, I think um, the resilience of our societies and of the international global order um, is in question more than it used to be, and it's something that we have to address very urgently. Um, and three, uh, I think the rules-based international system um, that was built and that I think serves all of us well is under threat. Um, and so why, if this is um, the, the, the puzzle before us um, to lay, why are Europe and Southeast Asia partners in this? Um, well, again, three points. Um, I think we share an interest to uphold the global rules-based order uh, and to uh, we both feel the heat um, from China that we have to deal with. Um, we need each other as economic partners in the coming years. And thirdly, um, we both benefit, um, I think, in f from cooperation in the area of cooperative security. Um, so if that is obvious, why is it so difficult for EU and ASEAN? Sometimes it feels like a bad rom-com uh, where the two uh, lovers um, somehow time and again fail to meet up and, and, and uh, come and meet each other. Um, and this is true for ASEAN and the EU as well, as well it seems to me. Um, I think one, organizationally it's very different animals. Um, so it has been pointed out uh, before. Uh, the EU is a supernatural uh, organization based on law, and ASEAN um, is um, an intergovernmental um, club uh, trying to hold together uh, with an aspiration to grow into something more, but they're not yet there yet. I think the second element is cultural, uh, post-colonial hiccups, I call them, from both sides. Um, you know, ASEAN feels that the EU is always preaching, and the EU is always preaching. Um, so it's very hard to, to get rid of that. 
Um, and I think uh, there's also a different appreciation of security assets. Uh, ASEAN says, hey, you Europeans, uh, where's your hard security? Um, and there is not much uh, in, in uh, the ASEAN region uh, from, uh, from Europe. Uh, but there is a lot of uh, soft power, if you will, and, um, and in the light of um, cooperative security that we have to offer. So, lastly, what should we do about this um, under those circumstances? Um, one is foster dialogue and understanding. We have to keep talking, we have to meet, we have to do things like this um, in, in order not to lose sight of one another um, because we need each other, but as I said, it's difficult uh, to come to an agreement and an understanding. Focus more, um, and this is particularly true for the Europeans, focus more on what binds us rather than on what divides us. Um, and um, lastly, fill the gaps, and that is, one, um, conclude a strategic partnership now, uh, which is, as far as I'm concerned, this year, um, and this is a call on, um, on all of us, um, two, step up FTAs. Um, I understand that there is some good news um, you know, in, in that uh, respect uh, that we can expect in the course of this year. Um, let's hope for that. And finally, um, increase our cooperation in uh, cooperative security arrangements. Uh, the soft side of security, I think it is um, where the EU has a lot to offer um, and where uh, we... Um, collectively um, can, can really make a difference uh, for one another. Um, that sums it up. Thank you very much. Peter, thank you very much. So I like the rom-com and the post-colonial hiccups. I think you've been very frank about what uh, the challenges we face, but we have to keep talking. Uh, on the FTAs, if I'm not mistaken, Giuseppe, correct me if I'm wrong, but Cecilia Manstrom, the Trade Commissioner, is going to Singapore uh, today, I think, to, to talk about the future and the cooperative security arrangements. I just had a very, very quick follow-up for you. Do you think that if we do get the strategic partnership going, EU-ASEAN, do you think we'll get this sort of wider and deeper uh, understanding and cooperation? Do you think that's an important first step? Well, I think it would be an important symbolic step uh, because in and of itself it's a piece of paper that you sign and, and then you celebrate it. Um, but I think it would be an important recognition of the fact that we are strategic partners. Um, so, you, we, I mean, we, we can cope without this. <laughs> we have the plan of action, um, which is um, a very thick document, and it, it contains a load of practical documents, but nobody knows about this. Um, and I think it is important, um, you know, outside this room and, and the people that are dealing with it, um, but it is important, so symbols are important, and I think, therefore, a strategic partnership, the recognition that we are strategic partners, would be something that we can show um, you know, outside this room and to our people and then explain the rationale behind this. So I see it as, as a symbolic step, mm -hmm. um, but not an unimportant one, mm -hmm. um, you know, because this is how we humans communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and on let's say, underneath that strategic partnership, we, we can do the plan of action and we can cooperate in the spheres that we have agreed on. Mm -hmm. So a declaration of love and commitment uh, for longer than just an affair. Well, there you uh, go. Okay, cool. <laughs> let's uh, go for a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, most rom-coms do end happily, actually. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you are. Okay, Clarita, so you're a professor at the university. You're in touch with the young people, many young leaders here, too very happy to say. How are young people reacting to this geopolitical changes that we see 
uh, impacting on regional politics, all the different challenges we face in terms of populism, refugee crisis, uh, the ethnic minorities that are feeling discriminated, etc. Please. Okay, I will address that uh, in a while, but uh, let me thank you first for inviting me here. Always I come in February, which is a bad time. And uh, yes, I have flown for two days and I'm given five minutes to deliver. Um, no, you will have more time, uh, Clarita. Okay. Five <laughs> minutes initially. <laughs> initially. All right, uh, let me address some of the issues uh, in regard to the questions that you had sent uh, earlier. And yes, uh, like to prick your bubble in regard to ASEAN unity and centrality. It's a big word, but yes, on the ground, there are very, very few Filipinos or ASEAN nationals for that matter, who are conscious about ASEAN. Of course, they know what ASEAN stands for, the acronym is part of their examination, mm -hmm. but nothing beyond that. So we have, you know, groups of people meeting for 600 meetings in a year. I counted them. More than, yes. And um, what are they talking about? Of course, some people are just saying, wow, 50 years of talking about clubs, singing, dancing, etc." But that just engendered a lot of goodwill. We are not shooting at each other. We're not killing each other. And there's a lot of shared meanings when you sing together and dance together. But we just do it differently. And uh, I teach a course on regional integration uh, and here is where we're looking at the EU. And we're saying the EU is just uh, setting the uh, frontiers of integration, but also committing mistakes. And we are stupid people if we are repeating the mistakes. And by the way, yes, I'm 72 years old and I've been teaching for 52 years. I started teaching when I was like 10. <laughs> no, 20. <laughs> All right. Um, what I'm seeing is that a lot of things can really move forward if we pay attention to the what we call the low politics area of cooperation. Things which are, we are not quarreling with. Things which you said, uh, Peter, uh, we ag agree as a matter of principle. And so we start there, low politics area. Whenever we meet our Chinese counterparts, and I really speak out, and we have a research uh, partnership with Fujian Institute, we tell them, why did you destroy our rifts and build these artificial islands? And then why did you weaponize them? So we said, you know, since all these buildings, some of them like six story high that we have seen through satellite shared by the US, they can in fact do, have dual or multifunctions. And so we said, let us do the Antarctica model. Let us convert this into research stations so that scientists all over the world can in fact conduct their experiments and study the sea, the plants, the fish. And by the way, we are not quarreling over sea, uh, natural gas or oil. We're moving away from that. We are quarreling over the fish. And we always tell these Chinese, do you know the fish that you catch in your jurisdiction? They are born in Palawan, our waters, and yet you don't even give us a kilo of that fish. But yes, seems absurd, isn't it? But that's just the point. I'm sure the fish will become mentally ill because it was born in the Philippines and it's eaten somewhere else. And uh, that's just it. The resolution of this conflict will not depend on diplomats and politicians, Peter. They will depend on scientists like us. And I think, not because I'm an educator, I think the greatest multiplier and using the EU as an example is the ASEAN University Network 
We're telling our students, patriotism and nationalism, they are bad words. We're moving towards a borderless world. I know Theresa May denigrated the term citizens of the world, but yes, we would like our students to be citizens of the world. Borderless, their mind should not have divides. You know, that guy in Washington, D.C., he wants to keep up building walls, but thank God for him, now we know, you know, where to cast our future, and it is with no one, with the U U.S. where we have a mutual defense treaty, but what we're saying is that we are maintaining a strategic silence vis-a-vis -vis China because it's too strong militarily, but we're telling China, let us not talk of territoriality and sovereignty, let us talk of a fisheries agreement. When do we fish? When do we stop fishing? Where do we fish? You want marine scientific research? Make the jointness meaningful. It's not that the methodology is yours, the research instruments are yours. That is not what joint research is all about, and we already have a protocol for that. We would like to look at Europe. We would like to look at what you're doing in defense and security. Now you have put together your defense fund. We are also moving there. We already have launched the ASEAN Economic Community. The next leg is the ASEAN Defense and Security Community, and the third one is the social and cultural community. We may not, uh, what, uh, target a United States of Southeast Asia, but we would like to come together as a region with shared meanings, respect for our differences. And yes, at bottom, the EU and the ASEAN would be, what, islands of relative peace, and we'd like to link them together. Thank you. Thank you very much, Clarita. <laughs> uh, for, for focusing very much on what's happening on the ground, how you're working in a pragmatic manner to solve some of your geopolitical challenges and the EU and ASEAN can learn from each other. If I were to ask you very, very briefly, what is the biggest challenge you think uh, facing the ASEAN at the moment. What is the biggest challenge? Is it connecting with the people or is it something more? Yes, it's a lot of that. It's really inequality. Uh, there are 107 million Filipinos and uh, 26 million of us are considered uh, poor. That's what we have to address because you have poor people, poor people are alienated, they're deeply cynical, and there's very thin line between alienation and violence. So that's what we need to pay attention to. And the divide is the, it's just tremendous, mm -hmm. you know. And what we'd like to see is that the Abu Sayyaf, the ISIS, the linkage, I'm sure you've heard about our uh, Marawi uh, incident for so many months. Young people had been so radicalized. Why are they so radicalized? It's not because they went to the Middle East and got educated there. A few months of education there will not radicalize them. It's because the conditions on the ground, the conditions the Philippines are such that you do not have an opportunity mm -hmm. to go to school. You cannot even dream to be an architect, to be an engineer, to be a scientist like mm -hmm. me. But yes, we have killed the future of these mm -hmm. students. Mm -hmm. And I think you and Europe are also confronting that. Mm -hmm. So somewhere, some uh, area where we can also learn from each other, from each other's mistakes and successes. Thank you very much, Clarita, indeed. Bart, uh, so we've talked about many, many things, and you know, there's, there's this elephant in this room, elephant in the room, not just in this room, and that's about how the EU uh, aspires, right, to become a member of the East Asia Summit, this sort of pinnacle where the ASEAN leaders meet with some of their dialogue partners to discuss security issues across the region and, and beyond, right? 
And the EU aspires to it because it believes that it has a case. It is part of the Treaty of Amity and Cooperation, and it's expanding its security uh, presence in, in, in the region. Soft security, as Peter said, but also beyond uh, maritime security as well. What do you think? What, what, is your, uh, what is your insight on when this will happen? Should it happen? Does the EU have a case? Thank you, uh, Sharda, and good morning, everybody. <coughs> uh, thank you very much for the invitation, and uh, happy to be here. Um, as for the question, um, I think the, the EU has had a very long-standing ambition to play a larger uh, political and security-related role in Asia. And as you said in, the, uh, in your introduction, we have been collaborating on the, the Asia-Europe meeting on ASEM for quite some years now. Uh, ASEM, which was an initiative uh, by the EU and ASEAN, um, and one of the uh, key goals of ASEM was actually to facilitate such a political dimension or to facilitate a political and security related dialogue in an informal way uh, following the, the ASEAN way. So I think um, the EU has come a, a long way uh, since 20 years ago. There is now uh, a limited security related dialogue, a political dialogue also on um, human rights. But I think the fact remains that the EU until today remains in the first place a, a great economic power. Uh, in, in Asia and Southeast Asia, and that security role uh, remains quite limited. Uh, as you said, progress has been made. Uh, the Treaty of Amity and Cooperation was uh, uh, signed in 2012, and then last year the EU was allowed to participate as a guest uh, of the chair uh, in the East Asia Summit. But I think that was, well, some academics have seen it as a, a major step ahead, as progress made, but um, it is perhaps more of a consolation prize, I would, I would say, because I think that quite some um, obstacles um, remain there in order to be perceived as a security uh, player in, in Asia. Uh, there's, of course, uh, geography that matters. Um, I think both regions have perhaps partners that are of uh, a greater geostrategic uh, importance. A second obstacle, I think, still is that um, in the case of the EU, the, um, the rhetoric or the, the, the theory um, uh, the concepts don't always match the actions and the deeds on the ground and the, the resources attached to it. Uh, the EU also lacks the possibility to display uh, hard power in, in Southeast Asia, even though there now has been modest uh, progress made by the uh, EU by setting up the, the PESCO, the uh, Permanent Structure Cooperation, that uh, aims to increase uh, defense capabilities. Um, a fourth obstacle, I think, still is that the EU still tends to uh, link security, trade, development aid, and, and human rights, which uh, very often interferes with uh, the ASEAN view on non-interference um, and the difference between these, uh, what is considered internal and, and external. Uh, I think um, ASEAN also sees the EU not so much as a supranational entity, but more as a collection of individual uh, member states. Um, as a group of, of states and not as a collective actor. I think that is also still an obstacle. And then um, finally, I think ASEAN also sees, very often sees the EU more, more as, a, uh, as a dialogue partner and as a donor perhaps uh, rather than um, uh, an actual partner in, uh, in security um, affairs. However, in spite of the, all those obstacles, I think that the EU does have a useful role to play in, uh, in Asian security, and that I do think that in the longer run, um, being allowed in the a East Asia Summit uh, would be uh, warranted. And that is um, because of the expertise and experience that the EU has, for example, in, in conflict management. And I think that the, uh, the example of the, um, the ACE monitoring uh, mission that brokered a 
peace between uh, Indonesia and the Free Aceh movement in 2005 is actually a very good example of the useful role that the EU can play in, um, in Southeast Asia uh, and its uh, security. Um, the um, Aceh monitoring mission was actually um, an initi initiative by uh, a limited number of uh, EU member states in addition to Norway and Switzerland. Uh, it included uh, five ASEAN um, uh, member states. And uh, what was important, I think, was also that the EU did not take the lead, but was only facilitating the, the operation, um, providing uh, funding, staff, uh, training, um, and so on. And that the actual initiative was led by, by Track2, by, uh, it was a private uh, mediator, the CMI, the Crisis Management Initiative, that was taking the lead. Uh, which then led to this uh, successful outcome and the peace deal that was uh, brokered. So I think that was a very good uh, example, a very good model that perhaps the EU should use in order to sell its value in, to the Southeast Asians as a uh, way of uh, convincing them that the EU does have a, an important role to play in, in ASEAN and Southeast Asian uh, security. So I think if that can happen, then uh, maybe they can convince um, ASEAN to also eventually allow the EU into the uh, East Asia Summit. Right, thank you very much indeed. It's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it, how this Aceh uh, story has not been repeated in, in the region by the EU. I find that quite intriguing where there were uh, other uh, pathways we could have gone in, but we didn't do that. So that's very, very important that you raise that. And then you mentioned Assam, and just uh, for everyone to know, March 1st, Assam Day. Don't forget that. That's also a very important part of the Asia-Europe discussions and conversation. Thank you very much indeed, Bart. So I'm going to open the floor now to questions and comments from you. Uh, rules of the game are also that please keep it short and snappy. I'm going to take rounds of questions from you, go, give, give the floor to the panelists, and I also want uh, Secretary General to come in and comment on the different things that he's heard from our panelists. So could I ask you to raise your hand we have colleagues here who will run to you with the microphone, and please say who you are. And if there's a question specifically for one member of the panel, please say to say so as well. So, sir, there first, and can I see a show of hands? There, right, Ron, and right, thank you. Okay, great. Please, kick off. Um, okay, thank you. Uh, I will address this question to all of the panelists. Uh, I'm Wester Tanri Bali. I'm a delegate of uh, Indonesia for the Young Leader Forum. Um, as a young, I might not have a direct impact to the, these geopolitical changes to the South China Sea, but I have a direct impact to the one trend that haven't been discussed in today's discussion, which is the digital disruption, digital revolutions, or maybe some of the people say this as the revolution, industrial revolution 4.0. This trend have been impacted uh, the way how we see the work, how uh, uh, it also challenges the fiscal and monetary uh, policy in many countries because there is an emergence of cryptocurrency, how there's emergence in digital economy challenges our investment and economy development policy. We also see some of the job being replaced by the automation of the new technologies. And it's very uh, challenging for me as a youth to see how the future would be because I might not see that I have the skill sets that required for the future development later on, whether my skills are real relevant. Right. My question would be how EU and ASEAN, as both regions, cooperate to overcome these challenges, mm -hmm. because I've gone through the uh, action plan built uh, last year, but I haven't seen that this issue play a pivotal role in the action plan. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Indeed, also the issue of hybrid threats. Uh, 
that are, are not mentioned as well. It's an evolving world, isn't it? So new, even a year ago is a lifetime away, actually, lifetime ago. But thank you very much for that question. Please keep that in mind. I'll come back to the panel. Uh, say. I saw a hand go up there, Ron. Uh, thank you, Shada. I'm Ron Holtzacker. I'm a professor at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands and the director of our Southeast Asia and ASEAN Center located both in the Netherlands and at Indonesia in Gajamata University. This morning, a number of real-world challenges were mentioned by the panelists. Poverty, inequality, climate change, the environment, and the engagement of citizens in these issues. How could the EU and ASEAN as regional institutions cooperate more closely on achieving and implementing the global goals, for example, the Sustainable Development Goals. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ron. I saw a hand go up there. Yes, sir, please. I'll take three now and then uh, come back to you later. Yes, please. Hi, good morning. I'm Iverson, um, originated from Hong Kong, representing Britain, now uh, residing in Estonia. Uh, first of all, um, let me wish uh, all the Vietnamese friends uh, Happy New Year uh, in Vietnamese. Uh, my question is focusing on the EU-ASEAN joint position on China. As a Hong Konger, um, I was forced to leave this territory because of the current situation, political situation in Hong Kong. We have thousands of thousands of voters being disqualified. Um, we have a legislator being disqualified because of some mainland Chinese influence. And in Hong Kong, we have a unique basic law which guarantees high degree of autonomy of Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong with the principle of 50 years remain unchanged and signed in the Sino-British Joint Declaration in 1983. But the problem is, with the increasing Chinese influence, it affects not just Hong Kong people, but also the EU-Hong Kong trading relations because EU is Hong Kong's second trading partner. And also with the uh, ASEAN-Hong Kong uh, FTA, it is crucial to maintain the business interests in the name of the rule of law, separation of power. So my question would be, how would the EU ASEAN joint position towards China would guarantee the unique system of Hong Kong in order to pursue its business interests for investment and the prosperity for the rest of the world? Thank you. Thank you very much. I guess not just business interests, but also people's interests. Yes, thank you very much indeed. So can I go back to the panel? Clarita, would you like to kick off? Well, let me address the last question. The EU ASEAN uh, statements or declarations will not be of any use to you, Hong Kong people. What you need to do is to move. The future is in your hands all over the world, except for some countries, the millennials are a majority. And numbers matter. I'm sure you've heard that Xi Jinping just got himself an indefinite uh, extension. And uh, we know what that means embedding of his thought uh, in the Constitution, a la Mao Zedong. But yes, numbers also matter. Despite the Politburo dictating every aspect of your life, including breaching the one country, two systems, you, the millennials, the future is in your hands. Why did Brexit happen? Because the young people were lazy to go to the polls. Mm -hmm. So we, the elderly, they, the elderly in Britain, went to the polls. But yes, don't be lazy. Go to the polls and architecture your own future. No declaration will <coughs> matter, really. Mm. On the second question of uh, how can EU-ASEAN cooperate on sustainable development goals, with a lot of difficulty, really, and this will also hook up to the first question, Jada. 
uh, yes, cyber terrorism uh, is really the arena of warfare in the future. No longer, you know, so many of our armed forces in the Philippines really would like to declare me persona non grata there because I wrote a paper on abolishing our armed forces and because this was like created during the American occupation 1,000 years ago. So, um, yes, how do you deal with that? A lot of cooperation, really. We have the ASEAN poll. I think, Jada, you have the Europol. But, you know, how can we do this? You know, even in the Philippines, there are 1,000 intel agencies and they're not talking to each other. So you can imagine. We have to stitch together 10 intels, then we have to link up with you, 28, later 27 intel. A lot of work needs to be done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Joseph, would you like to oh, Well, thank you very much. Uh, on the first question, I think my colleague from, uh, from Indonesia is the youth ASEAN ambassador from Indonesia. So that, that's a, a question that shows that how young people from Indonesia are really aware of the digital revolution that we are facing now. In fact, of course, ASEAN is not as uh, savvy uh, for this digital uh, revolution advancement like the European Union and we need to learn a lot. Uh, uh, in this context, ASEAN is in the progress of, uh, mm -hmm. of uh, uh, coming together to identify uh, how we can address this issue, how can we train our young people, our people, uh, to respond to the, uh, uh, to the digital revolu uh, revolution that we are in now. Uh, as well as um, the artificial intelligence that uh, the global community uh, is facing. Now, we are developing world, of course, now, but we have to keep up with, with this development. Otherwise, we will be losing uh, our young people that have been trained in university will be losing their job because they cannot be applied. Now, this is uh, really the, the key uh, issue now. now. ASEAN is embarking heavily on this. We, we know that uh, the future lies uh, on the e-commerce and we are enhancing the, the uh, smart cities network uh, for uh, having our people uh, have the trade more uh, active and dynamic in the region, that despite the fact that we have traditional engagement like free trade areas and uh, comprehensive, uh, a regional comprehensive economic partnership <coughs> in the future. So in responding to your question, really, the leaders of ASEAN are really aware of the future, what, what the future challenges are for, for, the, uh, for the 620 million people now. And I think the, the, the young people consist of about almost 60% uh, of, of our population. So it's a, a demographic dividend that we have to invest on this uh, f to gain the future uh, 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 right. capacity uh, to, to address development continuously in the region. Now, on the second question, how can we adjust? How can we adjust to the sustainable development goals? If you see ASEAN history, actually, previously we have about 47% of people living in poverty in ASEAN. In 1980, we have about 47% of the people in, in Southeast Asia living below the poverty line. But this has been reduced drastically. It means that more than 200 million people have lifted from the absolute poverty. Now, uh, there is only 40%, a huge number. It's about maybe 80 million people still living below the poverty line. But we, uh, if we address it, now we are consolidating the ASEAN blueprint with the sustainable development goals. Now, actually, colleagues from Thailand actually ca came up with this initiative. 
and we are going to uh, really uh, uh, endeavor in, in making this consolidation happen right. so that we can have a more robust uh, activities on the ground and responding to various uh, sustainable, sustainable development goal agendas. So this is necessary and we hope that uh, perhaps in the next decade, next decade, we will have near zero poverty in ASEAN. I mean, if this, this could happen, I mean, this would be a great achievement. Thank you. Uh, do you want to take the third question also? Please, please do, please do, yeah. Uh, ASEAN uh, EU position on China. Well, I really have sympathy, what, what you have said uh, from the young people from Hong Kong. But look, ASEAN's position is not kind of containment. We are not in ASEAN. We are considered of small countries that are not, you know, military strong or politically strong or economically to challenge any major powers. Now, our approach is to deal with every major powers in a win-win situation. That's what ASEAN's position is. We are not you know, fighting any other major powers, but if we can play the role, our approach is to transform rivalry into more partnership. You know, winners versus loser into more win-win and mutually beneficial relations. That, that is ASEAN's way of doing things. Is we are not containing. I don't think any, any country can contain China. <laughs> That's not our intention. We, do. we are not capable of doing that. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I was wondering, Peter, if you could come in. I just wanted to say that the Singapore chair at the moment has put research, resilience, innovation, e-commerce, smart cities uh, on its agenda for, for this year. So that is, that is something to keep in mind as well. Peter, would you like to come in? Well, maybe in addition, um, a few words um, to these you know, very pertinent questions. Um, uh, I think with respect to the, the digital revolution um, you know, and artificial intelligence and the effect that it's going to have on world economy, um, in, in my, my little introduction, uh, I refer to that because I think um, this is central to the, the changes that we're going to see in, in the geoeconomic area. Um, and so modes of production um, are going to be profoundly changed, we have to assume. Uh, how exactly this will transpire, I don't know, and I think most people don't know, and those who do are probably very rich in the stock exchange now. Um, but we, we all sense that things are happening and that it has an effect on, on the world um, order, uh, if you will. Um, and so I think that, um, first of all, EU and ASEAN should recognize this. Um, they should include it in their cooperation, and, and Singapore um, very valiantly already put it on the agenda, uh, because we have to come to grips with this. I, I think that it's going to have a tremendous effect in the next 30 years on the whole globalization debate, um, because we have been living, you know, the globalization um, 1.0 that we have experienced over the last 30 years is basically you you cut up the production chain and then you produce the parts in the uh, way you can do that the cheapest um, and that has been the model that made China great because they produced cheaply and we bought the stuff um, and and in a way that was true of, of uh, let's say European Asian corporation uh, at large so the question is will this remain the model or is this digital and, and artificial intelligence revolution going to cut up the whole globalization debate. If we can produce things here cheaper than uh, have them produced in an ASEAN country and then ship them here, 
um, you get a completely different set of, of uh, relationships uh, commercially and it has an effect on everything else. Um, so how this is going to end, I don't know, um, but we do feel that this is a central element um, of, our, of our debate and our cooperation. So I'm very happy that Singapore has, has put this on the agenda. There's a second element to it which relates to cyber. Um, Peter, you'll have to be a little briefer now okay, because I want to sorry. take more questions. But go ahead. That please. is true, but you know, this is complicated stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> but okay, let me, let me cut true. a few corners here. Cyber um, is, is an is intrinsic element of what I just talked about. Um, and so uh, the way that we organize cyber um, uh, reality uh, is going to be uh, determining to a great extent uh, how this process will run. And here my remark would be um, that, um, again, the China factor comes in because China and Russia have a completely different idea of how to run cyber uh, space than, um, than, than Europeans do. Um, and there is out there an ideological and a very practical debate um, on how we should we run cyberspace. Um, and this is an area where I believe um, that EU and ASEAN should cooperate more so that we keep a free, open, and safe, and secure internet mm -hmm. rather than cut the whole world up in little sovereign cyberspaces um, uh, that, that are run by, by our political masters. Um, so these are very fundamental elements that I think should be on the agenda and will be on the agenda between EU and ASEAN in shaping the world of tomorrow, which is going to be crucial for the young people. So let me leave it there. Right. I'm going to take a few more questions, Bart and Secretary General, and then come back to you and you can respond to, uh, to what has been said earlier as well. So let me take a few questions. The young lady over there, gentleman over there. Let's, let's take you. a few questions, please. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Daniela. I'm from Croatia. Uh, my question is directed to Director General uh, Tavares. Yes, um, I know you talked about cooperation, how it is important to have a win-win situation. So how do you get a win-win situation when you have a small country trying to do this with other major countries or major powers that are fighting amongst each other in, in order to, I guess, keep this global order? So... I don't know if you, how to say it, but yeah. How do you as a smaller country or a smaller region that doesn't have such, so much power uh, compete with this in order to make everyone happy? Thank you. Thank you very much. There was a young gentleman over there in the south, Lake Fraser and Jan Willem. Yeah. I'll take a few questions now so we can uh, end in time for coffee. Yeah, please go ahead. Thank you very much, and thank you for the insight so far. Uh, this is slightly related to the previous question, building on uh, Director General Tavares' point on small states. Uh, my name is Ejin, I'm from Singapore, uh, with the Young Leaders Forum, and Singapore is a small state. A lot of EU and ASEAN countries are small states, and that's part of the reason why both organizations exist, to amplify common interests. But at the same time, uh, as Director Potman mentioned, uh, it's about the upholding of the rules-based international order for both sides. But at the same time, we've also seen that the great powers pick and choose selectively the rules they want to follow. Russia has violated Minsk 1 and Minsk 2, and even if the EU was not involved in the formulation of those, it shows that Russia is cherry-picking. China as well has agreed to negotiate finally on a code of conduct in the South China Sea, but has refused to take the permanent court of arbitrations ruling, and the US as well has refused to ratify the Convention of the Law of the Sea. And if we acknowledge that great powers will only pick the rules that they want to follow, then how can both organizations right. that seek to uphold the rules-based international order, right. what further steps can be taken to do this? Thank you. Thank you very much. Can I make a plea to the, uh, to the participants? Please make your question short so we can go back to the panel uh, and, and, and get back to you. Yes, sir, please. 
Thank you, Shada. Uh, congratulations for this uh, successful event. Uh, my name is Dong Ming. I'm the political counselor in the Chinese mission to the EU. And uh, actually, I have uh, no further questions, but just a brief comment for some uh, points made by our distinguished speakers on, uh, in this event. Uh, first, for the uh, China, uh, for, for the relationship between China and uh, Asian and the EU. Actually, uh, I'm coming here to listen those uh, good development of uh, this cooperation and what China can do to facilitate this kind of uh, tripartite cooperation. But to be frank, I'm a little bit disappointed to hear those. Maybe we can talk further about how could we do together to enhance yeah. uh, this cooperation. And I just one point I just want to add is that actually China is both good partners to China, uh, to ASEAN and the EU. And uh, in two, the, the year of 2018, uh, we've well, uh, seen that it's. Uh, the, the establishment of a strategic partnership relationship between China and the EU. And one thing we have honored to say is that uh, the good experience uh, China have learned f during the past 15 years of how we can succeed in this process is that we never preach, we just uh, cooperate. So that's the first point. Uh, could, you, could you be briefer, sir, please, because we really need to go no back problem, to the panelists. Just, just say what you have to say, but make it just shorter. Yeah, yeah, Thank you. okay. Secondly, is that uh, concerning the points uh, raised by the distinguished uh, professor from Philippines about uh, the fishing, uh, uh, fishing issue between China and the Philippines. Actually, due to my uh, limited uh, historical knowledge that uh, if my memory isn't wrong, that Philippines is, uh, the, con the country of uh, Philippines is just established uh, in 1946. And uh, some of my uh, friends whose family also dealing with fishing businesses complained to me that why that when my, their grandfathers, their fathers used to fish in the areas, there's no, never, they ha have never hear any complaints from our fi Philippine friends and, uh, but why? And when, no. when they're coming to fishing, they were jailed, they were caught, they right. were jailed and as, a chi as, China, uh, as you mentioned about China uh, practice, we have no intention to say that we are flexing the Chinese muscle <laughs> in this area, <laughs> in this region. But, but let, let's be frank is that, yes, we respect Philippines. You are our friends, our dearest friends. And please also respect our position. We are always saying that before Philippines come existence, we already claimed the territory. Okay. Thank and you very much. I think, yeah. I think you've made your point very, very well, <laughs> and I will go back to the panel. Otherwise, yeah. this is going to be between you and the panel. I really need to move on. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. We've taken sorry. on board. Uh, Shada, third point is about the Hong Kong issue. Uh, but I, I'm, and, I'm uh, sorry, sir. We won't yeah. have time for that. There and will uh, be a bilateral conversation yes. outside over coffee. One, one sentence, uh, one, last one, sentence. Word I, uh, one last word I want to say is that Dear little friends, please just talk to me privately because this is our domestic issue. Hong Kong is a part of China. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much for making those points. Uh, it's best to air you everything very freely, and I appreciate, <laughs> appreciate what you've just said. Coffee time is there for all the bilateral discussions. We need to inform ourselves of uh, different things. Let's go to Fraser now.
Thank you. Short and sweet, but very, very important. I have a lady over there. Thank you, firstly, for the panel. My question is perhaps more for the um, ASEAN representatives. So we're speaking about the free trade agreements. Is it a kind of given receipt for success? Or is like different reports show that FTAs actually lead to greater income inequality in the developing countries. So I was wondering what ASEAN is doing to make sure that it's mostly economically vulnerable countries are not just exploited for cheap labor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very important question. Let's take Jan Willem Blanket. You know that there will be a second uh, panel as well. No, th uh, in, in the front row. And then Regine, I'll come to you. Uh, Willem Blanket, I, I worked Short and years. sweet, please. Yeah. I worked many years uh, for the European Union as a diplomat and uh, the last five years in Jakarta on EU-ASEAN relations. I always feel that I, um, I know four misunderstandings. And I, one minute. Uh, first, um, rules-based, but why did China never get its voting rights into IMF and uh, World right. Bank? That's why it created AIB, etc., etc. Second, the misunderstanding Europe's misunderstanding of the European, uh, the EAS. Okay. When these uh, big, big people sit around the table, of course, security is an issue, but the basis of the EAS is economic, education, infrastructure, all practical issues, and the EU uh, is unable to understand that. Third point. Uh, yeah. Uh, strategic <laughs> partnership, why not simply sign a strategic partnership with, uh, the, between the EU and ASEAN? Nothing is easier, it's just, I said it yesterday, you say, I love you, and you sign. Right, fourth point. Um, if I can add, no, I but know uh, exactly. Jan Willem, can you go to the fourth point? I'm sorry, um, I really need to move on, and you right. have to play the game, everyone. There is no fourth point. Yeah, there is, but then we leave it here. No, thank you very much. Three very important points about the AIB, understanding or misunderstanding EAS, and what is a strategic partnership really. Regine, please. Just put up your hand, Regine. Keep it up. Keep it up, please. They won't see you otherwise. Yeah. Very quickly as well, okay, please. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good morning. So I'm Regine Vendrich. I'm the uh, head of the Asia-Pacific Division and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Brussels. Um, concur to the comments made by, by Peter on looking for commonalities between the EU and ASEAN and uh, we need to foster dialogue. So my question to the ASEAN partners is what do you expect from the EU? Because we have our idea on how we can contribute to this dialogue, but what are your expectations? Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Secretary General, I was wondering if I could uh, start this part of the conversation with you responding to some mm -hmm. of the issues that have been raised. Yes, I want to add to uh, the answer to some of the questions that I think uh, our colleagues have uh, very well uncovered. First, the question of you know, young people's awareness. I did mention in my remark that this is very important for ASEAN, very important for the EU, and very important for EU-ASEAN partnership. I just want to inform you that you know, uh, in the recent survey conducted by the uh, ASEAN Regional Strategy Group, of you know the uh, World Economic Forum, they came with two very important you know findings. With this, that uh, number one, 
the majority, I think up to 90% of the young people who responded to the question mm-hmm. were of the view that I mean, they were better off in ASEAN as part of ASEAN. And second, you know, their country's economies benefit from the integrated ASEAN economy. This is very important because you know, nearly half of the ASEAN population are between 30 and 40 years old. And uh, ASEAN, uh, while I mean the, 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 the level of awareness of the uh, population at large about the community is uh, still very limited. We did a survey in 2012 before I came even to ASEAN. We found out that you know, uh, even among the people in the capital city of ASEAN, most of them only heard the name ASEAN, but they did not know at all what ASEAN was all about. And this when it's about, of ASEAN about of young people, I think therefore it's very important. It is also important for, for ASEAN EU partnership because if you know you ask young people in ASEAN, what I mean the ASEAN is, what ASEAN EU partnership is, and how the uh, relations between ASEAN and the EU, I would dare to say that you know more people, young people in ASEAN, know about that than the young people in the EU. Okay. Good. We, we will probably have to test that. Any other issues that you would like to raise? Uh, and, you know, on the uh, global goals that, you know, ASEAN and the EU share, and we will strive to ensure effective implementation. I would like to remind you that recently there was a high-level uh, dialogue on uh, sustainable development between the EU and ASEAN. And we agreed on the importance of aligning our priorities and aligning our uh, mutual priorities to the UN, to the global agenda on sustainable development. It is uh, very important because uh, our organizations, we do share the same mm-hmm. open regionalism approach in the context of the reemergence or otherwise the rise of you know, the populist and protectionist and sentiments and policies, even you know, in the quarters of the world. Mm-hmm where they have been, you know, very strong supporters of, you know, free trade and uh, multilateralism. Right. So, uh, can, and, can I interrupt you just question. for a second uh, to answer what is, I think, a very important question for ASEAN, uh, for us watching ASEAN as well about uh, what's happening in the Rahin province in Myanmar. Now that you're no longer the formal Secretary General, can you be more open about it? <laughs> <laughs> Even, you know, in, uh, in my capacity as a uh, former Secretary General, I would not say, you know, use the term Rohingya because it's not the term, I mean, or, or the concept, you know, accepted by our, I mean, the... But what's happening in the, in, in the, in the, in the region? What's happening in the region? If, even if you don't uh, use the word We are aware of, you know, the, 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 the suffering that, you know, the people who uh, left Myanmar, I mean, have, uh, I mean, born. And uh, in our sense, we work on two fundamental principle, mutual respect and mutual assistance. Instead of coercion, instead of imposition, we are trying to help. And we are to have to try to help you know, the, the victims, those uh, migrants who have been, you know, uh, been displaced, and uh, we have set up you know, funds yes. to help them. And uh, we are supporting the work not only of the Myanmar government but also the UN Commission on the, on, on the issue. Right. And, and that's, you know, the, 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 
the, the, the way that uh, ASEAN works, mm -hmm. and uh, that's uh, how, I mean, uh, we are in ASEAN uh, trying uh, to get a solution. Right. Though Except some member states, of course, some issues. members yeah. have taken a more proactive stance uh, on the issue. Thank you very much, uh, indeed, Secretary General. Let me turn to Bart. Bart, are there uh, points here that you would like to raise, uh, respond to? Uh, <clears throat> very br briefly, then. Um, perhaps an answer to the, the question about what can the EU and ASEAN do to um, tackle better uh, um, global challenges like the uh, uh, sustainable development goals. Uh, I th think I would like to um, second what uh, Jan Willem here said about strategic partnerships. I think it's very important as a concrete element that can be uh, used to facilitate that cooperation, um, that it would be very important that there is a strategic partnership agreement with ASEAN concluded uh, at the earliest possible stage, like the EU has done with uh, Japan, with South Korea, because um, it enables cooperation in uh, non-traditional security issues. It provides a legal framework of cooperation, and it, uh, it's also very uh, important when you deal with uh, countries in, in the, the ASEAN uh, region that still emphasize the idea of uh, non-interference. Um, so this would allow the EU and ASEAN to cooperate in a very specific field. Um, in academic literature, it's referred to as uh, practice-oriented security governance. So I think uh, uh, security-related uh, um, security strategic partnership agreement is, uh, is key there. And then maybe a, a very short answer to the, the question about what can small, small states do vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis the, the, the great powers. We live in a, uh, in a changed world now uh, that has seen a, a return of great power politics. There's also a decline of the US-led liberal world order. I think that uh, smaller states have no choice but to uh, cooperate within their region and increase uh, the political activeness as a region in order to uh, play a meaningful role in, in that uh, new world uh, by continuing to support uh, free trade uh, and, and regional uh, uh, cooperation. And um, I think crises such as the one that we are witnessing now can also be an opportunity and a, a chance for further regionalization. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Jose, there were quite a few questions for you. Yes. Uh, I would like you to please respond as briefly as you can. Yeah. So uh, the question on how small countries uh, uh, can play the role has already uh, uh, been rightly mentioned. That uh, You know, small countries, if they don't play the role, they become the battleground and they become proxy. That, so how can, how can ASEAN, it has proven for the last 50 years, we provide platforms for the engagement of these major powers in our region strategically. So they discuss uh, common uh, concern and, and you know, uh, their uh, common interest in the region. We have that platform as one, one of the platform that has, has been mentioned already, the East Asia Summit, of course. It is how do we reinvigorate this kind of uh, regional mechanism to better respond to, to issues let the, the big powers actually debate it out, they, their differences in this kind of forum, rather than, you know, uh, powers projection, having power projection outside. In fact, if you talk about peace, security, stability, it's the interest of all, the interest of them, the, those countries as well. If, if you look at the economic relations between the US and, and China, that is the trading, uh, the biggest trading partner of the US is China. And if you look at Japan as well, Australia and ASEAN as well, uh, I believe that European countries also have a, a, a larger trade partner with, with China. So there is 
a common interest of these major powers to work together and maintain peace and stability and have the, the rule of law. Of course, we are operating on the WTO rules. Otherwise, it will be unruled <laughs> trade relations. So, so that is the, so we play, we play on that basis. The, the big powers are entrusted uh, to the region of small powers to, to provide with a kind of platform that based on a right. culture of dialogue. Uh, Jose, I want to ask you a specific question that our Chinese colleague put, and I think that's a very useful point to, to discuss. A tripartite cooperation, EU, ASEAN, China, working together on perhaps connectivity, whatever. Is that something that would be also pathway to cooperation? It's, yes, it's, it's open for cooperation. I mean, of course, uh, I cannot respond to you. As ASEAN 10 countries, we have to discuss and what, what kind of areas that we are going to co cooperate. But this is something that is uh, a possibility yes. and perhaps a good option. It is. It right. Is, yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Did you want to say anything else or can I move on? I just say that we look up to European Union as an example for regional integration. Now, you are one of the most successful regional integration in which ASEAN always take an example. Uh, there are a lot of things that we, we, we need to learn from you like the decision-making process, the in implementation mechanism of, us, of, of uh, the European Union that we are still lacking. Obviously, we still as, as intergovernmental organizations, but if we embark at the beginning right. as a supranational uh, organization, it is a non-starter for ASEAN. Right. Obviously, because of the diversity that we right. are having. Yes. Right. I mean, these issues it. will be discussed also, thank you, Jose, in the, in the second panel. Uh, but thank you very much for pointing that out. Clarita, please. Could you also yes. take up the question of the FTAs? Yeah. Yes, um, I'm a bit, I'm not an economist, but I've also discussed it in my classes. So what I'm concerned about JADA would be the race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Because right now the EU is doing it bilateral, even while it had decided block to block. And therefore some countries already had uh, agreed and done agreements with the EU. And the rest of the countries who are not as yet open or not willing or both, to open their economies to such a liberalized uh, mm. level or scope, that will be a problem. In other words, you're looking at the EU as some sort of a wedge among us now because you're getting FTAs and they're coming at different conditionalities. So I would rather that parallel, uh, the EU does as it had been doing for the past 40 years, really be the catalyst for more, for more block to block, compel us to move further to deepen our integration mm -hmm. uh, in harmonization of our investment, banking, quarantine, customs, right. all those things that will involve business and other economic <laughs> transactions. Mm -hmm. Because um, I think it is best if it is block to block rather than with you right now, because I'm sure you've given up to de dealing with us on a block to block basis. But yes, we should continue. They're not with given that. up because that's back yeah. on the table. And EU yes, ASEAN um, FTA is back on the table. You know, 30 so. years ago, Jada, I was here and I wrote exactly that paper. And, you know, if I were to get back that paper, I'm saying the same thing. Right. And that was like 30 years ago. Right. Okay, uh, let me just address Jada just a, a minute or to my Chinese colleague there. I will not answer your point, point for, for point. Maybe we can discuss at coffee time. But yes, to be fair to the Chinese, you, I know, have not been present at the table when international law was designed. You would like to change the regime of laws right now that will govern real politics 
in the international arena. We looked up to you as an emerging superpower, and we thought you would be different from the erstwhile superpower, and you are disappointing us. But to be fair, Jada, one time I was delivering a paper in the South China Sea, and the Chinese general just kept on raising his hand and saying, do not allow Dr. Carlos to uh, deliver her paper because it's about the South China Sea. But the chairman deferred to me and said, well, she wrote it as a political scientist, not as a president of the National Defense College. <laughs> and I was allowed to read. Thank you. And the thesis of my paper was, functional cooperation is the way to go in the South China Sea. After that, the general came over to where I was. Peter, give me your hand. He said, oh, Dr. Carlos, I like what you said. I said, see, if you did not allow me to read, that was how many years ago? That was 2001, when I was still at Defense. So my Chinese colleague, let us make a strategic partnership re realize, be realized on the ground. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Peter, please. Okay, well, see what's left. A couple of remarks <clears throat> um, in response. Um, uh, the, the point about the major powers cherry-pick in a rules-based order, and, and you know, that is a, uh, that's an eternal problem, I think, um, because it's always a balance between power and law uh, that we are dealing with. Um, so um, it, I think it means that um, it, it sort of stresses the importance um, of, let's say, the smaller powers, ASEAN countries and European countries, uh, to stick together. Uh, I always think of uh, Gulliver's travels, um, you know, where the lily pads, uh, they, they tie him up in all, um, in, in, in all sorts of um, small straps and, and they could be rules and they could be cooperation and, um, and we have to be nimble and we have to stick together and we have to cooperate. Um, so I think uh, that is the, the, the way to go um, because the reality uh, of great power politics uh, will, not, will not change. Um, Peter, I'm going to interrupt you and ask you to give us the EU stance on what's happening in the Rahim province, because there was a discussion yesterday at the well, Foreign Ministry. Well, not only was there a discussion yesterday, I mean, the Council, uh, Foreign Affairs Council, adopted tough conclusions. Um, and the, I mean, <laughs> in a way, this, this let's say, if you, if you abstract from the crisis, um, you, you see the difference uh, between ASEAN and the EU because the Secretary General was explaining that, you know, he is bound by the rules of ASEAN and, and therefore this is a domestic issue and, and you have to cooperate, talk softly and hope that things will improve. The EU, on the other hand, is faced with a crisis of such proportions um, um, with, uh, you know, with, with, with memories uh, popping up and references to our own dark uh, hours in our past, that we cannot ignore this. Um, and so there is an outcry in the public, there's an outcry in our parliaments, and, and some of the basic tenets of what we consider human rights and international law um, are, are under pressure. And therefore, we have to speak out and we have to react. Um, in, in the rooms also within, within the European Union, my point has been, okay, of course we have to do this, uh, but let's try and not make this a European crisis because we um, can be outraged and we can um, sort of alleviate the humanitarian suffering, but we cannot solve the crisis. It has to be solved in the region. Okay. It has to be solved primarily between Myanmar and Bangladesh, 
But we hope, and we, we also you know, talk to our ASEAN colleagues, we talk to our Chinese friends and others who have an influence on the ground, right. that they should solve it. So yesterday, um, um, you know, this, so this is the, 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 the bind that the EU is in. So we have to speak out and therefore um, you know, challenge people in the region. Um, we know that we are not the ones that can solve this issue, um, so we rely on others. Um, and so through diplomatic pressure, uh, cooperation, right. we, we try to nudge this along. Uh, what we did yesterday is we, we went one step further and as a consequence of the uh, violations against human rights that have taken place, um, uh, we're now working on, on putting some sanctions on individual uh, military uh, who are culpable of the crimes that were committed. Right. Um, that in itself will not solve the issue. Um, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. Um, and so we need to be active on all those, um, on, on right. all those areas. Okay, Peter, I'm sorry. Really sorry to interrupt you. Uh, that's all we have time for. I've already okay. got my colleagues at the back waving desperately saying, please uh, end this session. We have to have coffee. And then, as I said, Peter, we're all back uh, in now 20 minutes, Clotilde? 20 minutes, and we will continue the conversation, which is about will EU-ASEAN relations still matter in 40 years? Excuse me all for being very rude, uh, but we do need to take a break now. Thank you very much indeed for your questions. Please give a big much. hand to our panelists. Thank you for your openness and your frankness, and thank you for very much for your questions.